Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Welcome to today's show. Today's guest is Abigail Pumphrey. She has built a very successful agency and education company called Boss Project. She also is the host of the podcast called The Strategy Hour. And Abigail has a very interesting story. She started out with the co-founder whose name was Emily. Emily recently left the business to start writing romance novels of of all things, what an interesting uh, pursuit to have. And Abigail is now running this show on her own, but again, growing a very stellar and solid business. She has several revenue streams. And what is going to be most important to listeners is hearing all about how Abigail went from a service-based business to an education business, and now is running both, both types of businesses. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. There is much to learn and we'll see you on the other side. Abigail, welcome to the business of you. How's your day going so far? My day is good. I got a walk in and it's such a beautiful day outside. So I'm happy to be here. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Well, you have built quite a business um, in our little pre-chat and in my studies here. I've seen that you've evolved your agency to be more of an education business. So I'm really curious to hear how you've done that. But before we dive into that, would love to just hear your backstory. Yeah. Um, what was life like for you as a young teenager? What did you start your life? What direction did you start your career path in? And, and how did you end up to the boss project? Yeah, for sure. Um, So growing up, I grew up in a home that was, you know, constantly telling me that I could do anything I set my mind to um, and really encouraging me to explore and be professional and like pursue something that was really going to make a difference. Um, Both my parents, unfortunately, were disabled. And I grew up, while they were incredibly encouraging, I didn't necessarily have examples of what a working professional looked like, um, or even what it meant to go to work on a regular basis. Um, And so in high school, I was definitely of the mindset that I had to to make my parents happy, have a more professional job. And while they never said that was required, they were definitely steering me towards a career in STEM, whether that was 
both of them had originally studied to be engineers. Um, so whether that was me kind of following that same path or becoming a doctor or a lawyer or an architect, they really were pushing me in that general direction um, and really engaged me in the sciences. I spent a lot of time in the science fair circuit of sorts um, and did quite well for myself. I studied under a dietitian um, at our local hospital and really thought that I was going to go to college, um, do my undergrad in dietetics and then go to med school and become a bariatric surgeon. Um, but I did not do those things. I spent a summer working in the hospital in a research capacity in a lab. And I learned pretty quickly that while I find the subject of research and, you know, even surgery in and of itself, while I find all of those subjects interesting, the repetitive nature of the way in which you have to operate was just not something I wanted for my life. And I just couldn't see myself slogging through another, at least what, 15 years of school. I was just not, I was just not ready for that. And so I kind of on a whim told my mom, I wanted to design uh, cereal boxes. <laughs> she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I just think food packaging is so interesting. Like someone has to design the stuff that goes on the shelves. And um, anyway, I somehow talked her into um, letting me tour the art department at our local state college. Um, I went to a private high school that my mom had bartered her time so that I could have a private education without um, them necessarily having to pay for tuition. And while I had been around a bunch of other people that were pursuing all of the things I thought I would be pursuing, I knew I couldn't afford to go out of state or to another fancy school. And so state college was, I mean, that was the option if I was going to go to college. So I fell in love with the art department and decided I was going to pursue a career in graphic design. Um, in the arts, while there were so many things that I found incredibly interesting, I loved photography. I loved ceramics and getting my hands dirty. But I was also so nervous about being able to make a living. Um, and while I would love to have spent my days in a barn throwing pots for the rest of my life, I was genuinely unsure how I would survive on that. And so I knew if I got a degree in graphic design, I could probably go into the ad agency world and and pursue something that had a path that had the ability for upward movement in my career. And so that's what I did. I jumped in head first. I ended up graduating in three years. And when I finished school, my spouse wasn't done with his master's degree yet. Um, we weren't married yet, but uh, dating seriously. And so I decided to find a job in town and um, secured a job at a local ad agency um, I spent a couple of years there, um, and 
unfortunately was laid off and really was not sure what I was going to do with my life. I kind of, as a Hail Mary, ended up getting um, a position at the university. And I spent several years in higher education um, focused on the marketing side of getting students into university. Um, but I wanted to move back to the city. I wanted to move back to where I was from. And so I decided to make a path for myself to move home to Kansas City. And my then fiance had moved across the country and he had secured a position in Baltimore, Maryland. And I didn't want to move to the East Coast and I was very determined. So I made a bet with him and I said, if I can get a job and make more money than you, then you have to quit and you have to move back. Um, and so that's exactly what I did. I, I landed a job. I was making significantly more money than him. And he had his pride, pride hurt a little bit and took his time coming back. But he did end up coming back. It was a time when it was very, very hard for him to get a job in his profession. And so he ended up spending almost two years unemployed after that. Oh, wow. Um, he had gotten a job. I had been recruited into a new position um, after bouncing around between a couple of different larger companies and was at a startup. And three months into being there, they laid off the entire marketing department. And we were like in a crux um, trying to figure out what was next. You know, I had recently purchased a home only in my name because he had been unemployed and we, I had been the primary provider financially for our family during that time period. And so being laid off was really intimidating and scary, but I just felt like it was sort of a now or never situation. And so not that that's true. I know now that I would have had plenty of opportunities at a different point, but it definitely was the time of my life that I had the most time and needed the least money to maintain the lifestyle that I had. And so I jumped head first into building my business. I had been taking freelance work on the side for several years anyway, but had never taken it very seriously. And in 30 days, I completely replaced my corporate salary. I made my first six figures in eight months and then doubled that four months later. And I knew I had hit the jackpot. And I was like, I am going to do this thing. I am going to run an online business. And this is going to be my career for the yeah. rest of my life. Um, and that's how it got started. What year was that? That was back in 2015. So I've been okay. huh. in business for eight years now. Good for you. That's quite a quite a story of ups and downs, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad I actually have a senior, I mean, a freshman in college this year. And um, she has really been thinking about the arts. And of course, she has that voice in her head like you did of how am I going to make a living doing this? So um, so glad you shared that part of the story because I think it's important for all young, younger people to hear, right? They think us adults, we have it all figured out. We know exactly what we want to do all the time. Yeah. And that's so not true. Well, and I do, I know a lot more now about what the arts could turn into. I think if you 
go into it with a mindset that you want to create in the same way that you create in school, you are going to have a harder time transitioning. But that being said, you could absolutely draw and become a full-time illustrator. You could absolutely paint and become a muralist or like there's so many options that are totally plausible in the real world. Um, I just don't necessarily think, especially in art school, that teachers are great at presenting what real world applications of the different directions look like. Yeah, yeah, agree. Um, so the boss project, so you launched it, you you started as a freelancer, you took on clients. What was growth like for you? What were some of your next early steps? How did you grow it into, you know, a legit company? You're doing extremely well. Yeah. So I initially was taking, um, primarily local small businesses on, and I was providing, branding, web design, and other graphic design services. I wasn't necessarily limiting initially the types of services I was doing. I was trying to create ongoing relationships and really kind of trying to meet the needs of where they were at and what they needed in their businesses. I ended up initially kind of carving out a niche in the food space. So I had mentioned I wanted to be a cereal box designer. I was like, I'm going to do this for myself. I'm going to figure it out. And so a lot of my initial clients were in the food space. It was, you know, bourbon balls and, and cheese and salsa and pickles. And I mean, I could keep going. Um, juice, hard pressed, cold pressed juices, like all the things. And so I did get an opportunity to do packaging design. I did create trade booth things for these people to go and pitch themselves in front of distributors. Um, I did a lot of websites, all of that. I definitely was taking additional clients too, but for sure my bread and butter was exactly what I had hoped it would be. And I was turning around and teaching absolutely everything I was learning. And I have always just been an educator at heart. Even in school, I had always imagined, you know, I love this, but I could see myself coming back and being a college professor. I didn't necessarily want to teach, you know, art in elementary school, bless the souls that choose that as a career. Um, but I definitely loved the educational environment. And so I had always thought that I would do a career and like my retirement plan would be teaching for fun. Um, but <laughs> because it was so like ingrained in who I was, I was taking all of the knowledge I was gaining from getting booked out, being really successful right away and sharing all of that on a platform that people could connect with. And so, you know, back then it was Instagram and blogging as the primary tools to share that information. But I was literally blogging every single day. I was posting on Instagram four and five times a day. And um, I grew an audience really quickly of people who were paying attention and who were interested but what I didn't realize is I was actually growing two businesses simultaneously and only selling to one of them. All of the work I was doing online and on social was not landing me additional design and agency clients. 
it was growing an audience of people who wanted to learn from me, but they weren't potential clients for my services. Mm-hmm. So it is at that point, had, did you have any other teammates to help you implement the work that you're doing for the clients that were paying? Yeah. So early on, I met my business partner. So Mm -hmm. it was just me initially. And then I met Emily in an online Facebook group. She had been taking on clients um, of her own. Her background was in photography. And so we started collaborating on projects and we actually worked together for a number of years before we like officially became business partners. Um, But she was helping with the photography side, but I was still handling all of the design side of the business. And then we kind of tag teamed on managing the inbox and Mm -hmm. invoicing and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And as you realized that you had, um, a nice size audience that what that you were educating but not selling to how did you begin to make the switch between service based business to education company yeah i think if it had just been me i probably would have stayed doing both much longer or even started the education side much slower um because it is a hard switch it is especially when you're not selling to the same group of people. Like I mentioned, it was a totally different audience. And so I had done all of this work to build to the point that I was making a salary and could pay myself a reasonable salary, but making the switch into education meant I I wasn't sure when I was going to have that amount of income again. Um, But Emily was feeling pretty burnt out and I on the client was, side. Yeah, on the client uh-huh. side. And I was nervous I was going to lose that relationship if mm. I didn't listen to what she also needed. And so we switched gears um, and we started putting all of our time and energy into the education side of the business and really slowed down on taking client work to the point that we stopped taking client work for a very extended period of time. Um, but it meant, you know, slowness initially. And then to pick up momentum, I was in a season of launching all of the time. Mm -hmm. It was, we were doing live workshops every two weeks. We were presenting on webinars. We were speaking at summits and conferences and um, eventually started our own podcast. And it was, it was a lot of, trying to get in front of more people um, so that we would have enough of an audience to sell to, to make a reasonable living. Um, It it took longer to get to the point that the education side was paying us the same as what the services did. Um, But now I get the opportunity to do both. And I really love being able to serve both. What was the first product that you sold for offering? Yeah. So our initial course, Emily had developed a course specifically um, uh, called Pricing for Profit that was for 
photographers. And so it was designed to talk to photographers about in-person selling and how they could utilize those strategies to um, really increase from like a shoot and burn into um, an actual (laughs) career and an actual amount of money. Um, We ended up taking that program and we extrapolated it out to be for all services. So it wasn't just photography focused anymore. And we really talked about the psychology of selling and how to increase um, the overall revenue per client, how to price so that you could be profitable. And talking about money and pricing has, has been at the core of our business for a very long time and definitely fuels our mission. Um, we're focused on helping more small business owners become financially free. And that's not possible unless they know and understand the money necessary to run their business and pay for the life they want to live. Yeah, so true. Well, how full circle, right? For you is like, that's what your parents were always trying to ingrain in you. Um, And here you are now teaching others how to do that. Yeah, I mean... uh, it it's funny how life happens that way yes. you know i think we are the product of our environment more than we want to be sometimes yes. um but it also gives me a lot of fuel and mm-hmm. really makes my why even more important mm, totally i could see that what what did that first course sell for 197 maybe okay um maybe and I'm not, you, I'm, I'm that's not okay. totally sure. I just more am asking for people that are thinking of doing this, um, that they, you know, I think it's important people understand it's tough to go out of the gate just selling like a $2,000 course. Oh, right? no, like, we definitely didn't sell anything at that price yeah. for a couple of years. Um, our first membership was $17 a month, mm-hmm. which is just funny now. Um, but yeah, I mean, we didn't need as much then to pay for our overhead because it was just the two of us, but we yeah. built a staff and a team and the business now has its own set of costs. And I have to earn more every single month now than I did make in my first salary and my first job. Um, so to support the overhead, you mean to support the just to break even. Yeah. 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 Um, and where does the your greatest cost come from? Is it the software? Is it your, like your monthly subscription? No. So team is definitely the biggest expense for our business. Um, Our operational costs make up about a third of overall expenses. Um, But team is for sure the largest portion. Sure. Sure. How, how many students would you say you have now? Roughly, we've worked with over 15,000 businesses from all over the globe over the last eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, And our podcast has reached millions. And so we've had people from every corner of the planet listen to our show. Um, It's called the Strategy Hour, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have you guys download and subscribe. Um, Yeah, so we've definitely grown quite a large audience. 
Has has the podcast help you recruit students or attract students? Yeah. So the podcast mm-hmm. is a great nurture tool. So sure. for us, it has served as a visibility tool, but that's not necessarily typical for that type of channel. Usually a podcast, you have to drive traffic to that mm-hmm. channel for it to see growth. And so um, the podcast is a great way to earn that trust and Mm -hmm. get people to understand your methodology and your approach um, and absolutely can lead to sales. I wouldn't say it's a direct to sale though. It's a warming them up and then sending them on a different path from there. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the the top lessons you learned in switching? I know you're still doing some service-based work, um, Mm -hmm. but switching (laughs) from a service-based company to a education company? I think the main thing that I had to understand was the volume necessary. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it takes to be successful. Um, But there's this reverse relate inverse relationship between both um, the number of people needed and the conversion rate. So service providers, typically you're going to convert between 60 and 90%. And you're also going to have the highest prices. And so you could potentially, most of my clients can be completely booked out with two to four clients a month. And if they're converting even at half, they need what? Eight leads max? Right. Once you get into group, um, group programs of sorts tend to convert closer to 15%. And they usually are priced almost at a tenth of what you might see for a high-end service. And so because of that, the volume necessary to be successful just goes up exponentially. And then once you get into low-priced one-to-many products, you're talking about in some cases needing hundreds of sales a day to be successful long-term. And so unless you have enough eyeballs, it can be a constant uphill battle and not necessarily a lucrative one. And so I don't necessarily think it makes sense for everyone to transition away. Um, I do think there's an opportunity to layer these things over time. And I do think you can be intentional about growing a community of people. But if you just want to make high margin with the least amount of work, like services are still going to be the most not necessarily the most lucrative because you have a limitation to how much you can take on, but in terms of profit versus effort, you're going to get the most profit for the least effort. um, Typically, unless you have a bunch of upfront cash you can pour into the business. Right. Right. Because you can use cash to get eyeballs. Yes. And that is an option. Yeah. But most people don't have the capital. They have the time. And so if you have time, services tend to be an easier transition for people. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Plus you can just, you can monetize it so much more easily than, um, Oh, hundred percent education side and quicker. Uh, yeah. It's not that you can't do the other thing. Right. You totally can. You just need to know what you're up against. Yeah, totally. So of, 
of your various revenue streams, because you have an incubator, right? You mm-hmm. sell templates, lots mm-hmm. of templates. You have a beautiful template shop. Um, what else? You sell some services. Yeah. And- so we, in terms of makeup of the business, we we have we brought back our agency side of the business last year to really ensure and get back in the shoes of our clients so that we can know and understand what it feels like and what they're going through and the unique challenges that they're having. And so we take on services in a limited capacity to really make sure we know and understand what it feels like to be running an agency. Um, And so we do primarily web development um, on that part of the business. We also have the co-op, which is the template shop, you can upfront, if you go to creativetemplateshop.com, you can buy one-off templates. But if you dive into the co-op, it's the membership side, you get access to all the templates. And we recently added so much more. We're adding a bunch of strategy, uh, course, um, course materials, community, like that is definitely exploding. And that's so much fun and exciting. Um, Our incubator is really designed for people who are selling services primarily, and are maybe interested in layering one of the other models, um, or they're really just wanting to focus on if they're going to be sold out, how do they make it the most efficient use of their time? How can they work less and make more um, in a way that is ethical and sustainable? And so the incubator is really about taking those people who have seen success and are already creating some sort of consistent revenue. And how do we take it to the next level? Um, And then we do have C-suite, which is specific to people that have created that consistent revenue and are looking to build their support team um, so that they can bring on additional, typically employees to help do the service delivery inside their business. Um, And, you know, those people are typically making anywhere from 15 to $80,000 plus a month. um, Whereas the people in incubator may be making 10-ish, between five and 10-ish a month. Okay. What was the last one called? C-Suite on Demand. Oh, yeah. C-Suite on Demand. And that's service-based owners too? Primarily, yeah. Okay. That's great. And is that more of a membership model as well? Um, So both the um, Incubator and C-Suite are group coaching programs. So we have services, we have group coaching, and we have one-to-many with the membership as well as one-off courses and other templates and digital products. So we have the full gamut. We've done all the models and definitely know and understand the limitations and uh, challenges of each. Mm. Of of these various um, revenue streams, which one is your most lucrative? Well, it depends on how you're asking. Like, um, they've all generated more than a million dollars individually. So um, they all can be successful in terms of profit, as Mm -hmm. in like the least amount of overhead Mm -hmm. to, to make the thing operational. Services are still way up there. Mm -hmm. Um, The cost to run a group program is probably the best balance 
of like creating good margin because you're still charging a fairly decent rate. Yeah. Um, but you can stack it a lot easier. You can take on more clients than you could if you were working one-on-one with them. Um, and so for that reason, I've really, really enjoyed the incubator over the last several of years. Um, it, it's definitely been um, a ton of fun and and definitely something I will continue to pour time and energy into. Um, the membership side is for sure the least profitable for a whole host of reasons. It takes a ton of labor to support it. Um, it also, when you're running ads to something like that, you have something called acquisition costs. And so your acquisition cost can be more than the cost of the initial membership. And so you may be paying a multiple of what you will bring in initially, and you're looking more at the lifetime value. And so it takes a bunch of cash to make that model work on a more long-term basis, Um, but it is a lot of fun. And so the reason I even have a membership, because if I were focused on profit exclusively, I would not have a membership. I have a membership because I care about creating educational content that's accessible. And so I wanted to create a price point that could impact, that was available and accessible to the largest group of people and could impact a lot of people. Um, But I didn't pour time and energy into that until I was good until I was making the kind of money that I needed to be making to support my lifestyle. Um, And I think a lot of people try to do some of these things too early. Not that they can't explore them early, but they're not prepared financially for making that sort of change. Mm. Um, Do you ever see your students from your membership then join the incubator? Yeah, absolutely. the CEO? Okay. Yes. Um, that's definitely the goal. We want to take people through a journey and Mm -hmm. um, really help people who are at the beginning all the way through the point that they're, they're incredibly successful on their own. And more often than not, the further they are in their business, they simply want someone else that they can run executive decisions by because often while they have a staff, they don't necessarily have someone that they can share intimate HR details with, or, you know, how much someone's salary should be, or um, how do you handle really coaching and being the leader in your company, or what do you do with your own doubts and like, whatever. And so a lot of the times, like as they grow, it's less because they need strategist as much as they need support to have someone else thinking like another member of C-suite, which Mm -hmm. is why we call it C-suite on demand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you need someone who's thinking about the financial side or the marketing side or operations. And um, you don't necessarily at that stage, you know, the majority of our clients have zero to 10 employees, which is according to the SBA, the small business administration, those are micro businesses. 
Yeah. You're not considered a small business until you have over 50 employees, which is yeah. does not Insane. represent any I know. of our clients. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, not that we don't have people who work for companies with more than 50 sure. employees, but in terms of running their own small business, I am unaware of any in our current network that mm-hmm. run a business at that scale. And yeah. there's a lot you need to know before yes. you get there. Yep. So true. So true. Well, one other interesting thing I wanted to talk about before we hop off is um, you mentioned that your husband works for you now. Mm-hmm. What, what is, how did that come about? And, and um, how is, how does that dynamic affect your, your marriage? Sure. Absolutely. So my spouse, his background is in architecture and he spent the first part of his career um, working in traditional architecture firms um, on big projects, everything from schools to arenas to he he built um, and was did a lot of the landscape design for the brand new sphere that was built in Vegas. Um, so lots of really cool, huge projects. But I don't know if any of you have ever worked in an architecture firm, um, but it's incredibly high stress job. And it's not necessarily the most gratifying because, you know, you could be working on a project for three years and then someone runs out of funding and the project never gets built. And when you pour so much of your life, time and energy into something for it to just go poof in an instant. It's, it's a lot. And so he was really, really burnt out and looking for a different path. And so he has always been such a kind and caring man and really, really connected with an older generation. Um, And he actually considered changing his career to geriatrics um in college but he had a in-state tuition waiver um and if he changed majors he was going to lose that and so he couldn't afford to change um anyway he decided to leave in 2018 um and he was focused initially on being a caregiver for his grandmother as well as other elderly in our community and he was working with her multiple days a week but then also cutting other people's grass and growing grocery stores and like doing the things that a lot of people just do not care to do um Mm -hmm. for a generation that needs a bunch of help and so he did that for a couple of years um and when he wasn't working on his own with that he was taking care of the house and supporting me and making sure that I had what I needed. Um, But a couple of years ago, I presented the option and was just like, you know, is this something you're interested in doing? We need more help. Um, And so he initially came on as a contractor and he worked as a contractor for 10 months before we transitioned him into full-time employment. And he's been an employee now for almost two full years. Um, So in terms of how that worked initially, um, 
when we brought him on, my business partner was his boss. Um, and, and so she was primarily overseeing his day to day. Um, she stepped down earlier this year. And so she is no longer in the day to day operations of the company. So I had to take over being my spouse's boss, which was definitely um, something that made me nervous. Um, because while we have an incredible marriage, I had always been really careful about what our working relationship looked like. Um, but so far, so good. It has been a really great opportunity for us to push each other and um, be there for each other. And we do have to be really mindful of the boundaries of when are we at work and when are we at home because it all happens in the same space. Um, but we're pretty good about it. Like when we're talking about work, we're almost always on Slack or Zoom, which sounds crazy. We literally Zoom each other in the same house. I know it's a little weird, but it's also <laughs> very effective for us because we both work online. And so yeah. like being able to access all the tools at your computer while you're talking to your colleague. Yeah. It's a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> <So funny. laughs> but, you know, we'll talk about business occasionally over lunch or whatever, yeah. but we really try to make it a work relationship versus, you know, switching into the marital roles, even to the point that like, if he has something to say to me in the middle of the day about our life, he'll text me instead of slack me. And like, we have very clear boundaries about how we can communicate at work versus what are the personal communication channels? Yeah. Sounds like you compartmentalize well. Yeah. I mean, it's probably uh, a result of some trauma from my childhood. Compartmentalization is a very big skill of mine, um, but it's been helpful. And I feel really confident in what that's looked like um, over time. It's it's not often that you can have someone working for you full time that has as much background. So like, yes, he's only worked for me full time for two years, but he's been there since the day the company launched. And so he has all this background information as to things we've tried or things we've done or things that did or didn't work not because he worked here, but because he was in my life. Yes. And so that brings a lot of value that I think people underestimate what it can do inside your business. What's his role in the company? His role right now is marketing manager. Mm -hmm. um, he primarily runs like logistics for making our marketing channels work. So he's you know, QCing all the emails before they go out. He's managing our workflows. He's managing the tech behind those. He's posting on social, posting in our groups, managing uh, people coming into the groups, uh, managing all our affiliate relationships. And then also just because I need extra support, he also handles payroll and handles a lot of our benefits administration. And so um, definitely more than enough for all of us to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I'm so glad that's working out. Yeah. Well, Abigail, it's been great having you on the show. Um, what's the best place for people to learn more about you, 
learn about your programs. I know you have the co-op coming up soon and yeah. you know, feel free to talk about that. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me today. If you guys resonated with this, I'd love for you to come subscribe and listen to my podcast, The Strategy Hour. Um, It's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, Also, if you're interested in the types of things we're doing, you can go to bossproject.com and just explore. We have hundreds of blog posts. We have so many tools and things available for free on the site. Um, But I did want to specifically point out a training that I did that I think you guys will really, really benefit from. Um, I specifically dive in in this training into the different business models that exist in this online ecosystem and really talk about how they all work together and where you can start and where you might land and how you might scale and grow over time. So regardless of where you're at today and how many dollars you're already bringing in, this can be a great opportunity for you to dive in and really see what your options for long-term growth are. Also, I'm talking specifically about the wealth equation and what uh, rich people wealthy people know and how you can steal copy and paste it before um, that wealth gap gets any further apart. And so I poured a ton of time energy um, into this training and I've heard nothing but rave reviews. So I'd absolutely love for you guys to watch it. Um, The link for that is at bossproject.com slash untitled. Perfect. Bossproject.com slash untitled. We'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so good to learn about you and your journey and wishing you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.